All right. Welcome back to Rafa Reading Daily. We are on episode 48. This is Citizens, Cops, and Power, Recognizing the Limits of Community by Steve Herbert. We are on chapter 5. Let's begin. Quote, it is so difficult, end quote, the complicated pathways of police community relations. Lane was a longtime community activist who focused primarily on issues of crime and disorder. As well as anyone, she understood the myriad challenges facing any neighborhood that sought to address and solve its problems. Because of her work, she was abreast of most neighborhood activities aimed at crime reduction, and she knew a great deal about the various bureaucratic agencies that could provide assistance. One of the big challenges, she stressed, was trying to mobilize those bureaucracies in a coordinated and effective fashion. Because crime problems were often shaped by other dynamics, by substandard housing, poor management of tenants by landlords, poor lighting and sanitation, she recognized the need for a comprehensive approach. This necessarily involved many agencies and consequently entailed many headaches. As she described it, well, it's not strictly a policing matter, And that's where you get into so much trouble. It's not like a criminal violation where someone could be arrested and it's all over. It's just so much more complex than that. It usually involves so many different departments and so the jurisdictions of different people trying to actually get at the heart of the problem is so difficult. And that's, I think, why it tends to have a real downward spiral effect on a neighborhood because the people who really care about those things, they'll tend to give up after a while because it is... It is so difficult to get any real long-term change. Difficult indeed. In the preceding chapters, I demonstrate that, by and large, neighborhoods that organize as, quote, communities, end quote, cannot bear the weight that projects like community policing place upon them, nor do they wish to do so. I demonstrate further that, by and large, the police do not recognize neighborhood groups as co-equal partners in efforts to reduce crime and disorder. I also established that ideals for constructing a police community relation as one instance of the state society relation come in three distinguishable yet sometimes conflicting versions. Given these realities, it is unsurprising that citizens in West Seattle found so frustrating their inability to move forward with the police and other state agencies on issues that concern them. Like Lane, many of them understand why citizens tend to, quote, give up after a while, end quote. In this chapter, I explore how residents understand and evaluate the role of the police and more broadly, the role of the state. There is no simple narrative that captures these assessments. There was considerable support for the police, yet much criticism. Widespread understanding of the role and challenges of the police in society, yet much confusion about just what the police could and could not do. There was praise, honor, frustration, confusion, resistance, often within the same interview. One instructive way of apprehending these myriad narratives is through examining the three main registers of state-society relations, subservience, separation, and generativity. In what follows, I explain how each of these informs citizen assessment of the police. At times, citizens embrace each of these approaches, or at least express acceptance of them. Yet they exhibit frustration when these approaches are in conflict. Most notably, they describe how their desire for more, excuse me, most notably, 
They describe how their desire for a more subservient state is frustrated in actual practice. Indeed, the principal source of citizens' discontent is their sense that the police are not properly responsive to public requests and suggestions. Many citizens suggest that the police are too aloof and too concerned with maintaining their authority. Further, residents complain that the moral frameworks and bureaucratic routines through which their input is channeled can be demeaning, limiting, and confusing. In other words, when officers distinguish themselves from the community and when they construct the community, they often frustrate citizens' efforts to exert greater influence over what the police do. At the same time, those interviewed expressed great appreciation for the work of the police and an invariant acceptance of the police's role in society. No one, for instance, wished to abandon the police as the principal agent of crime control. Indeed, one of the most common citizen complaints was the police were not present enough in their neighborhoods. Yet these citizens struggled to see a way clear to a better reality in part because of the conflict between modes of state-society relation. In short, the narratives of subservience, separation, and generativity alternately inform and frustrate the public in their quest for an ideal relation to the police. I demonstrate the trenchant nature of this reality and what follows. In the first section, I review the broad acceptance citizens express for the role of the police and the remarkable degree of empathy they feel for the challenges officers face. In the second section, I outline how each of the dominant understandings of the state-society relation resonates within the citizenry, how it is that residents simultaneously accept subservient separation and generativity. But this fundamental acceptance of the state and of the possible ways of constructing the state-society relation is complicated by the fact that these narratives are complex and sometimes contentious relation to one another. This is the focus of my third section. The analysis there makes plain that the challenge of bringing society and state together in projects of neighborhood betterment is likely to continue to be, quote, so difficult, end quote, to accomplish. And then that brings us to the end of the introduction and the beginning of our first uh, segment. I think one of the things I want to point out uh, from the passage that we just read is that a lot of the reason that people can't envision uh, another way of crime control outside of the police is because of how deeply indoctrinated everyone in this country and this society is to the institution of policing and so and how deeply indoctrinated we are to trying to address the effects instead of the causes and when you when your main focus is always on how do you get people to stop breaking into cars or how do you get people to stop breaking into homes or how do you get people to stop breaking into businesses uh you will constantly be in a place of trying to uh, of relegating the police of thinking about the police of thinking about uh law enforcement but when you because you're uh, thinking about uh in effect but when you start thinking about the causes what causes people to break into homes what causes people to break into storefronts what causes people to commit these certain crimes you begin to understand that you can 
get to people and get to helping people before they become ingratiated into criminal activity uh, by having better education, by having better uh, health resources, by having better mental health resources, by uh, changing the way that we view people who have addiction issues, by changing the way we view people in poverty. And, and these are all things that are not as glamorous as just putting more money to police or giving the police bigger guns or making bigger prisons. Uh, and they're, they're, it's more grueling work. It's more, uh, somebody say, uh, use the word boring work. Uh, and I think that one of the other things that's important to point out here is a lot of times people do talk about how they want more police in their community or they want more police in a certain neighborhood where crime is uh, where things that are considered quote unquote criminal activity are more prevalent. Uh, but that again is because of the fact that there is not a, uh, a, a strong, a strong, uh, education around the causes of crime in this country. And so when people don't understand the causes and people aren't informed and educated about causes, uh, that is why they lean so heavily on just wanting more police in the area or wanting the uh, policing of an area to be increased. And so I think that we have to do the job of explaining to people how we need to uh, deal with these issues before they rise to the place of, of criminal activity. OK, let's move on to the next segment. Quote, it's a tough job, end quote. Citizen acceptance of the police. Given the actual and symbolic threat that crime represents, it is hardly surprising that many urban residents express strongly held views on the police. Indeed, they principally understand the police as their protector against such threats and evaluate them accordingly. The citizenry recognize the central role of the state in the suppression of crime and see the police as the principal agent in this effort. Never did a respondent suggest an alternate, an alternate primary role for the police. Never did anyone describe a vision of how to reconstruct what officers do. The centrality of the police in society, particularly in terms of an effective response to crime, was unquestioned. There exists a basic, if often implicit, acceptance of the state and its institutions of formal social control as indispensable tools in social betterment. One resident, for example, described her efforts to help minimize the negative impact of a young man whom she and others suspected of dealing drugs out of his house. She worked closely with the crime prevention official associated with the police department. As she recounted the various bits of advice this official provided her, she said, quote, he tells us to call the police. Who else is there to call? I mean, who else would you call? End quote. This resident is unusual in her explicitness. But her inability to imagine serious crime reduction without the police was commonplace. Citizens so recognized the police's significance that they regularly voiced a desire to see more officers in their neighborhoods. As Marsha, a Midlands resident, put it, quote, I love to see a lot more patrolling. I love to see a patrol car down our block four times a day, end quote because she knew that some of the results of this research were going to be shared with the police department. She used the end of her interview to reinforce this point. Interviewer, that's all my questions. Is there anything else you think I should have asked or that I should know about? Marsha, no, I just think that you should know that we need more police and whoever this report goes to, that's my biggest thing. We need more police. Marsha was hardly alone in this request. 
Residents thus accept the police's centrality and frequently express a desire for a greater police presence in their neighborhoods. Beyond this hegemonic recognition that the police were indispensable to efforts to reduce crime, many residents expressed sincere admiration. For example, many were quick to express appreciation for instances where officers responded effectively and sensitively. Among the teenagers interviewed, reservations about the police commonly emerged. However, one young man, Christopher, provided a poignant contrast. When asked to describe his evaluation of the police, he said this. Christopher, I like them because of what's happened in the past with my mom and her ex-boyfriend. Interviewer, can you tell me about that a little bit? Christopher, okay. My mom's ex-boyfriend, she had let him live with us because he had lived with his mom. And at first it was okay, but then my mom and him went out one night. They went to drink, you know, and he hit her. And then they ended up going home. It was like during the day when I went to the mall with one of my friends and he hit her. When I had came home, he started slapping her and stuff. So I called the police, you know, and ever since then, I trust the police. I like them more. Interviewer. Because they handled it well? Christopher. Yeah. Interviewer. In what way did they handle it well? Christopher. Like, they took my statement and my mom's statement and every time the phone rang and I answered it, they tracked him down and took him to jail. So I trust them more. Another of our interviewees was troubled by a friend whom she had invited to stay with her temporarily. When her friend began displaying symptoms of emotional distress, the living situation became tense. Ultimately, the woman called the police to help her remove her friend from her home. Throughout the process, the woman said, the police were sensitive to the dynamics of the situation and helped resolve it peaceably. This led her to praise the officers' work. Woman. And they were very helpful and comforting and were easy on me, gave me a feeling of being supported. In other words, they didn't try to blame me for the situation, even though they could have questioned my side. So I felt supported and everything resolved very quickly and easily in terms of getting him to leave and stuff like that. Although this respondent's interaction with the police involved an unusually sensitive matter, her appreciation for quality police work was echoed by many other respondents. Residents also frequently expressed empathy for police officers. Many said they understood the difficulty of the job and recognized various impediments to what officers could hope to accomplish. One of the more eloquent expressions of these sentiments came from Sherry, a resident quite active in crime reduction efforts. You know... We really put a lot on our police. We really do. We expect them to babysit. We expect them to be psychologists. We expect them to use force when necessary. I mean, I have seen the police take a lot of abuse and you know not to do anything. I have seen that actually happen. So it's a tough job. It's really hard being a police officer in the world in which we live today. There are a lot of expectations. Sherry recognized how officers might struggle to satisfy a public with perhaps excessive ex expectations. Given these struggles, she indicated strong appreciation for officers who did well. But she said, quote, I also know officers who should go do something else, end quote. Although expressed here in the negative, even this statement recognizes that the police carry a welter of expectations, a burden so heavy that some officers cannot bear it. Or, as one resident put it, quote, I feel sorry for them. I would never be an officer, never, end quote. 
These comments demonstrate that many citizens so accept the role of the police that they are able to imagine the challenges officers face. Such comments also show that many recognize that citizen expectations of the police are sometimes excessive. Implicit here is a realization that perhaps the police can only do so much to improve neighborhoods. In a discussion of the scope of the police role in bettering communities, Marshall, the pastor of a church in Centralia, said this. I think the police have to play a role, but maybe the reason I'm saying that, that there are other ways of doing it besides them that we need to look at. They are busy enough. I mean, hey, they keep me safe at night. I appreciate them for doing that. If they want to focus on that and cleaning up the streets, I say you concentrate on that and let us and find other agencies or whatever or have the police come alongside churches that can help change the community. But you put the police in charge of changing the community as well as policing the community, they are going to fail in both areas. And even in terms of reducing crime, many residents were quick to recognize limitations on what the police can do. In colorful language, Rob, the activist in Centralia, made this point, quote, and I say, we have lost the battle when we pick up the phone and say, 911, we have a crime happening. And a cop comes in his 911 car. Right there, you're on your way to the septic tank. For Rob, reactive police work was of only minimal significance. The more important work needed to occur beforehand to create neighborhood conditions in which crime did not flourish. For this, as both of these respondents indicated, the police were of no significance. In sum... Residents typically accept a central role for the police and society, appreciate quality service even while recognizing the myriad challenges officers face, and recognize limits on what the police can hope to accomplish. My larger aim here is to demonstrate that citizens see the state's role in crime reduction as a legitimate one. There is hegemonic acceptance of the state's need to equip and make available a police force. There is even widespread acceptance of the three means by which state-society relations can be established, Although this is entirely implicit. Uh, hold on, let this. Okay, that brings us to an ending of that passage and the beginning of another passage. I think one of the things I want to point out here is this: uh, that one of the what what's being spoken about in this in this first little segment here, this first passage that we read after the introduction, is a common conversation that I have with people, and that is one where people who have, who have had individual experiences with police officers judge the institution of policing based off of that individual experience and i would not condone in the negative nor the positive basing an individual experience with a police officer as how you uh of whether condoning or condemning the institution of policing uh what i would say is that if you call the police officer because your house is broken into and you have a positive experience with the police, that does not speak about the institution of policing. If you call the police and you have a negative experience because your house is broken into and you have a negative experience with the police, that negative experience individually does not speak to uh, the uh, uh the institution of policing. However, I believe that an amalgamation of of negative experiences and positive experience can speak to the institution of policing. And uh, I think that one of the things that has to be pointed out in both uh, a negative or a positive experience is what the other actors in that experience uh, had done and how what was felt or, or what and also the outcome of those things. And so 
For example, the young man who called the police because his mom had been assaulted. Uh, I would make the question, had this person assaulted somebody, a, a woman before? Had this person had domestic uh, charges uh, pressed against him before? Uh, if so, what was done with those times? Was that man just thrown in jail, uh, given probation, given uh, uh, some prison sentence or whatever, and then just sent back out onto the streets? Uh, uh, too often, what happens is the traumas and the conditions that lead to people doing things like committing domestic uh, violence, doing uh, things like committing assault, even sexual assault. These things, the traumas that lead to them doing it go unaddressed. Uh, there is just a, again, a lock them up and throw away the key mentality, a uh, 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 ostracization mentality. And what happens is since these are not crimes of capital punishment or capital offenses, people aren't given the death sentence. They aren't put in life forever. And so eventually they get out of prison. Eventually they get out of jail. And if those the thing again, the causes, if the things that cause them to manifest these effects have gone unaddressed, you end up in a situation where the cycle continues to repeat itself and so that is when you can begin to start uh and, and it is at that point at that vantage point that you can uh view you you begin to understand why it is an institutional issue uh and so i i think that yes this young man may have had a a positive individual experience with these police officers who came and arrested this uh, the man who assaulted his mother. The person who had a friend living with them that they needed to be removed may have had a positive experience individually with these police officers, officers coming and removing their friend. But have the, but have the institution of policing dealt with these two people who committed uh, criminal offenses before? What was the outcome when they dealt with them before? Uh, when they dealt with them and arrested them this time, did they do things to treat uh sufficiently the causes that led to them uh, uh, committing the acts that the police was called on them for. And that was one of the things that was spoken about by the person at the end of that passage, at the end of that segment, about how was it important, how you lose. It's already a lost battle. You've already lost when you have to call 911 and call the police and someone is getting arrested and thrown into jail. Uh, because, uh, again, it is, that is a, a perpetuation of, the, uh, of an inhumane act. It is inhumane for a man to be a assaulting a woman it's inhumane for somebody to uh be invited into someone else's home and to make that person feel unsafe in their home but it's also inhumane to lock this person into a cage it's also inhumane to uh, not address the traumas that led to this person doing these things uh, and so I think that that is one of the things we have to get into we have to begin to remove our individual experiences and begin to see the uh total totality of the institutional experience and that is one that is inherently negative uh okay let's see i think we got enough time to try to oh damn i think this is one of those segments where it's broken into multiple multiple passages give me one second i want to look i'm gonna look through these next this next chapter real quick or this next passage real quick it might we might be better off reading this whole thing on the next episode. I'm trying to get better with keeping themes together on episodes. Yeah, I think all of this will be better read on the next episode together and not broken up. So we're going to end this episode here a little bit uh, shorter than some of the other episodes we've had. But I think that the next passage that we're going to read, they all 
sort of fit together and I don't want to break it up. So please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast, whatever. Uh, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like us on all of the social media sites. Uh, if you haven't listened to previous episodes of Rafa Reading Daily, please go back and listen to some of the previous episodes of Rafa Reading Daily. This is our third book that we're reading. And I think that we should probably be done with this book in the next maybe the next seven days or so. I would blink. That might even be a, a stretch. It might be less than that. Uh, so I think this is a very uh, productive episode. Again, uh we put these episodes out daily to give people an opportunity to begin on their journey or to further their journey to struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. All right, we outside. <laughs>